Oh, sometimes I wonder if we have any idea what is packed into the name of Jesus. We, you know, we say it all the time in Jesus' name, amen. We finish our prayers, we, just, we, just, we don't even think about it. But it's so important. I believe in the name of Jesus. That says it all. That says it all. The name of Jesus is the name above all names. That name that charms our fears. That name that we, we claim for salvation. Jesus' name it changes everything for us. Uh, well, summer's right around the corner. And don't go on summer break early, especially if you're one of my students this semester. We got plenty of work to do for the next three weeks. But, um, you know, like kids get off from school. We, we, summer's different, right? Do you know, when I was a kid, there were a few things I realized that just were these massive paradigm shifts. One day my mother told me that Pat Sheehan on Channel 5, the news anchor, wasn't a Christian, probably. I was stunned. I, I used to listen to Pat Sheehan and Billy Graham on TV talk to me. And the fact that one of them, Pat Sheehan, wasn't a Christian was very disturbing to me because he was an authority in my life. I had to sort through a lot of things. But one of the other things my mother told me when I was little that stunned me is I think I was about five or, or six and she told me that summer was only three months. I, I, don't know how I, I don't know how I worked it out in my head, but I thought we went to school for a year and then had a year off. <laughs> and that year was called summer. I really did. That's how long summer felt to me. It doesn't feel that way anymore. <laughs> it's gone, right? But summer, I love summertime. There are whole playlists on Spotify for summertime music, right? So tell me, what are words or a couple words that come to mind when you hear the phrase, summer is for fun, the beach, barbecue, real barbecue or just cookouts? Ask the Southerners in the room. Yes. What else? Camping. Yes. Fireworks. Yes. No homework. Yeah. Who says kids have homework? Parents have homework, right? Not pointing to myself. Where's my wife? Parents have homework. Um, I help occasionally when there's no math involved. Um, so, yeah, what else? Family, yes, family. What else? What is it? Vacation, yes. Reunions, yes. Family, not always easy, right? We go in so happy, leave angry sometimes. Yes. Uh, right. Summer's for a lot of things. Lemonade stands, right? Road trips, also not always easy, right? Uh, what is it? Flip-flops. Yes, flip. Right, that's all year, right. Uh, bomb pops from the ice cream truck, yes. Uh, all sorts of things. Drinking water out of a hose, which I've realized most people under 50 haven't ever done. Because you don't remember the days before bottled water when you don't drink anything. It's not out of a wa- bottle. But yeah, I used to drink out of a hose mostly. Mostly. Now you won't even drink out of a tap. Never mind a hose with cobwebs in there. Yeah, summer is a great time. Um, but we're concerned, actually, as leaders at Grace, that we may look at summer as the time of disengaging from being active Christians. Right? It's the time to chill 
rather than the time to, yes, do all that recreation and all that fun for sure, but even in the midst of all of that, be dwelling on our greatest rest, which is what we have in Christ, who we are in Christ. Jesus is our Sabbath rest. And so let's not have this idea that, well, in the summer I don't really have to get in the Word that much or get after my prayer life that much or tell people about Jesus. No, actually, summer's a great time to engage in some ways that the normal routines of the year don't allow for. Rather than saying, you know, I'm just going to disengage from church, from ministry, from from my own spiritual pursuits, let's bear down more than ever more seeking the true rest we have in Christ. Isn't it amazing how often you come back from vacation feeling stressed and not that you rested at all? And it's because we, I think, can get disconnected from the ultimate ways we rest. Well, this summer, we want to go into the summer thinking about summer as the summer is for salvation. Summer's, yes, for all those other things, but summer's for salvation. Do you know the Bible talks about salvation, being saved in past, present, and future tense? We've been saved from our sins, from the, the penalty of sin. We are saved in the present tense from the ongoing power of sin, and we one day will be saved from judgment, from the penalty of sin there. So we can have summer of salvation that's not just about proclaiming Christ to those who don't know him in our lives but it means we are all pursuing rest in Jesus more than ever before where that's true rest even in the midst of the busyness of life we would love for this to be the summer of salvation where we all rest in Jesus like never before and out of that proclaim Christ to those who don't know him in our lives like never before summer is for salvation more than anything else. And so, just to get that ball rolling, we want to do just a a three-week series called Summers for Salvation. I'm kicking it off this week by, by thinking about the idea that eternity hangs in the balance. That we live our lives in light of eternity. Life on this earth for us is a mist that disappears so quickly. The brevity of life is stunning to me the older I get. Eternity hangs in the balance. And then next week, Junior Jamrianvit will preach on uh, only God being able to raise the dead, which means we're dependent on God for salvation. We're dependent on then things like prayer as the heart of our ministry of, of proclamation of Christ. And then Kenny will talk about faith comes by hearing, that the bold proclamation of the gospel is what we need. And we would love it if we as a congregation, we as a church earnestly pursued God using us in the lives of people like never before. Which means we take advantage of things like Adventure Week that's coming up. Can't believe Andy thinks peanut butter and jelly is disgusting. That was one of the most cross-cultural conflicts I had when we lived in England. They think peanut butter and jelly is ridiculous. Sweet and savory, yes. But I hope you didn't miss in his announcement that this is an opportunity to meet with people from our community, kids and adults alike. I love the Parent Cafe, not just because Jenny Earl leads the way in amazing desserts, uh, but because it's a great opportunity to linger and talk to people, not just from Grace, but I hope intentionally people from our community who bring their kids. I've had ongoing conversations with people who don't know Jesus in the Parent Cafe that have been going on for years. We just pick it up in the summer where we left off last time. And we've seen some of those people come to Christ. 
I did the funeral for a woman who five years in a row came to Christ uh, after coming here. And then, then she died and I did her funeral. Uh, what a joy to think Parent Cafe at Food Bank, uh, not Food Bank, but I'll get to that, at, at Adventure Week, it was an opportunity to just every summer for just a week have conversations with people in an ongoing way. I, I hope you come eager to help in that way. Food Bank is a great place to meet people and, and introduce them to Jesus, pray for them, uh, proclaim Christ and what we believe in him. But there are so many, our 3rd of July barbecue, uh, our cookout, is a great time to, uh, to invite your neighbors and your friends to an environment that's probably far less intimidating than Sunday morning worship would be for them. But don't limit it to our activities we have here. See, summer is a time to actually have neighbors over that you haven't actually had a meaningful conversation with in years. Or to linger on the front lawn, not just talking about events in the neighborhood or the town, but to talk about Jesus. To pursue meaningful conversations and boldly proclaiming Christ this summer is what we would love to have happen. I try to go nowhere without a copy of my Two Ways to Live. I usually have an English and Spanish version with me, unless I had recently given away and then replenished my stock. But this is a great a great presentation of the basic message of the Bible on how you're saved. We have them, take them, give them to people regularly, not to circumvent conversation and relationship, but to just supplement that and get the message in people's hearts. We have our church information on the back. It's a great way to invite people to church. Hey, here's our church information and our website, and here's what the Bible says about how you have a relationship with God. Read that if you get a chance, and I hope to see you. It's not hard. It's not hard. It really isn't. And I find most people are eager to listen and to, at least on the surface, be nice. So, um, so let's go into this summer saying, no, this is not a time to disengage from gospel realities, but to engage like never before. So, would you open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 9? I just want to think about two verses this morning, which point us to the reality of eternity, Oh my, we are such a here and now, immediate sort of culture. Uh, Just so impatient, so distracted, so consumed with all the events of our day. Uh, As soon as the school year's over, we start ramping up for the next one. And and, and we're so filled with, well, how well's my 401k doing? And and, uh, how are things going in the daily details of my life? And those things aren't insignificant, but they're not the most significant things even though they tend to consume our thoughts and our affections and our daily activities. We have got to be people who think about heaven and hell. I love going to funerals. I do, as hard as it is. I love going to funerals and and interacting with people and seeing how the Christians there, many of them, have been thinking about death ahead of time. You know, you go to funerals, and it's so obvious, so many people at the funeral haven't thought about death in a long time, and now they don't even know the words to use. They come, they, they come up with sort of greeting card sorts of statements that aren't really helpful in a meaningful way, but you, you, you see the Christians, and it's obvious. We've been thinking about this. We're people who think about death. You know, I've said it many times here. One of the main reasons we gather here is to help us to die well. It's not just about the here and now. I hate that expression, YOLO, YOLO. Go bungee jumping because YOLO. Uh, No, just go bungee jumping because it's fun. Uh, But you only live once. No, actually, you live forever. 
It's just how you're going to spend forever. That's the question, because how you spend now is how you end up spending forever. And so think about how you're investing your life now, because that has radical implications for how you spend eternity. Uh, we, we've got to think differently. There, there's this fear that we'll be too heavenly-minded and no earthly good. We should never use that expression. The Bible does not at all think that's even possible. If you're heavenly-minded in the right way, it's not pie in the sky, by and by, have nothing to do with no. No, eternal realities invade the now. We've got to live in light of what's to come, and that should profoundly affect the way we live now. You know, right now, Alan Gomes is teaching a class on heaven and hell. His book on 40 questions on heaven and hell is coming out this year, and um, and he's teaching a class for a few weeks now on that, starting this morning, right now, up, up there. And uh, I actually got an advanced copy. feel kind of special. And, um, and let me read to you his first question, why think about heaven and hell, and, and his answers. Here, here's what Alan says in his book that's coming out this year. Why, why should we even think about heaven and hell? Um, because of our hunger for justice. Do you long for justice? I know some of you may have a problem with God as judge and you prefer that not be one of the titles for God, that he's judge. But may I suggest that maybe you're not paying enough attention to all the injustice in the world and how seldom it seems to go addressed in sufficient ways. And, and maybe it'll cultivate in you a desire for justice. We had an unspeakable disregard for human life in our community in the past couple of weeks, right down the road. I don't know if you had a sense of longing for justice. Oh, man, I did. I just kept saying, Lord. But, but that's just a little glimpse. It's just a little glimpse. It, it just hits home when it's a quarter mile from our church. But that's just a little glimpse. I had a brilliant student that I had in, in my Character of God class named Olivia. And uh, Olivia was, was a phenomenal theologian. And she, she thought deeply about things. And then after she graduated, I got an email from her. I had known she went to be a missionary in, in, um, in Cambodia. And I got this email from her not long after. Listen to what Olivia says in this email. She says... Dr. Tonitz, I've been meaning to drop you a note for a few weeks as I've recently thought a lot about our Character of God class from last fall. I moved to Cambodia in August. A while back, as part of my orientation uh, and to better understand Cambodian history, I went and spent a day visiting the Genocide Museum and the Killing Fields. Needless to say, it made for a very heavy day. You know, when you... Study the things of God. It has massive implications that you don't even realize. Needless to say, it made for a heavy day. However, it was during that day that I got, began to think about what we learned. During my visit, I quickly realized how little I knew about the Cambodian genocide. It's probably true for most of us in here. I don't think there's much that can prepare you to walk through the genocide museum. It was a high school in Phnom Penh that the Khmer Rouge turned into an interrogation center where innocent people were imprisoned and tortured and killed. 
I actually read up on this. There were 20,000 people who went through this converted high school. Seven survived. So a picture of those seven. The killing fields which lie outside the city are just as overwhelming. The Khmer Rouge killed an estimated two million people, nearly a third of Cambodia's population. In a four-year span, however, in a four-year span. However, I'm not writing to simply overwhelm you with statistics about genocide. It was in the midst of my thinking about those statistics that I started to reflect on the things we talked about in light of who God is. While some people may visit those places and question the goodness of God or question his existence at all, those weren't my questions. With tears in my eyes, I found myself whispering prayers, prayers more along the lines of, Lord, you're going to take care of this, right? You're going to make this right, right? You're not just going to let this go, right? It was in the midst of trying to make sense of the evil acts of men that I found myself so thankful for who God is. I'm thankful that God is wrathful and just and one day will make all things right. Even now I struggle to put it in the words, she says, but I begin to understand God in a new way that I hadn't that day. However, I can honestly say it wouldn't have hit me the same way had it not been for the incredible things we learned about the character of God. I don't have my hanky. I need something. Help me. I won't make it through. Somebody help me. Yes, look at that. Look at tissue man. Give me a chest bump. There you go. Thanks, Rick. You're on it, man. I'll be with you in a minute or else it'll just be. There we go. Never apologize for crying. Apologize for not crying. Um, okay. Where was I? Okay. I'm back. Every time a speaker is sniffling and got issues, I just want to say, dude, take care of it and get back to us, right? There you go. All right. Um, a lot of what I do when I speak is because I've listened so much. All right. We're good now. All right. Um, so justice. Don't you long for justice? Don't you? If you don't, if you've got a problem with a God who judges, consider that maybe you're very isolated and insulated from the kind of injustice and evil in this world that would give you a problem with a God who comes to judge someday. Consider that it might actually be a real ethnocentric way of thinking, that because maybe you live in a pretty protected environment from, from a third of your nation being murdered, that you just have a problem with the justice of God. I don't think most of the world and most of the, most of the humans in human history have had a hard time with the justice of God. I think the harder problem is why he's waiting so long. That's what the problem we find in the Bible. How long, Lord? How much longer will we have to wait? It's actually absurd to have a problem with God's justice if you're paying attention to the news for five minutes in your own heart for two minutes. Well, 
Gomes says we have a hunger for justice, right? He says also we have natural, don't you long for the day where cancer will finally be taken care of and all the evils, the natural evils in this world will be gone? Also, belief in the afterlife motivates us to live self-sacrificially. I don't think it's any coincidence that arguably Christians have done more to alleviate suffering on this planet than any other religious group or philosophical thinking that's ever been. Because we know our lives now are worth investing in a costly way, in a self-sacrificial way, because we know this isn't all there is. We know that eternity's coming, and like Jesus said, we need to store up our treasures there, which means expending them here because our ultimate treasures lie in eternity. Not here, not now. It's not about hoarding all we can. Alan puts it this way in his book, what we do for others now has no expiration date. It counts for eternity. What else? Living in light of eternity leads to fear of God and living holy lives in light of judgment day. Tim Keller says the way you live now is completely controlled by what you believe about the future. And finally, because judgment day is coming, we have hope because the king is coming and he'll bring his kingdom. I have hope for myself which I need on a daily basis. I have hope for you, which I need on a daily basis. And I have hope for the whole cosmos because the king is coming. And so let's look at this passage in Hebrews chapter 9. I want to just look at two verses in Hebrews 9. Are you all there? Hebrews 9. I just got there. Here we go. Hebrews 9, verse 27. Lord, help us. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Oh, so much here for us. Uh, the first, I, I just want to look at seven words, seven words in these two verses. The first word, appointed, very important word. It is appointed a man once to die. You are not in control of your death. So every time you see an infomercial on this new juicer, it's going to extend your life, be healthy, but don't think you have any control over the time of your death. Uh, it is appointed a man, who appoints that time? God does. It couldn't be clearer throughout the Bible. God appoints the time of our death. That's the truth. We're appointed by God. Why does death happen anyway? Well, it's because of human sin and rebellion. We just preached through Genesis 1 through 11. Genesis 3 tells us why death exists. Death is a horrible thing. Don't let anybody tell you, tell you it's just part of the circle of life. Lion King or anybody else? No, it's not. It's a horrible punishment for human sin, human rebellion. The wages of sin, we're told, is death, and we all deserve the wages of sin. It is appointed a man once to die. Listen to Romans 5. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because we all sinned. 
We all deserve judgment. And that's why being a Christian means combining the righteous indignation we should feel anytime we see injustice and also the ability at the same time to see ourselves implicated in that injustice. Because the fact is, the Khmer Rouge and I need Jesus equally to die for our sins. And so in the midst of hating justice and wanting it to be judged, we've got to at the same time realize that we, along with the rest of the human race, have all gone astray. We all equally deserve judgment before God. Doesn't mean we've all expressed our sinfulness equally, but it does mean we're all in the same sinful condition. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. No one is righteous, and then Paul anticipates you're doubting that. And he says, no, not one. Death is the result of sin and rebellion. God appoints a day we die out of that. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, the psalmist says in Psalm 139. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, as yet there were none of them. Job puts it this way, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That includes life. God appoints the day. You're not in charge. The second word is die. It is appointed a man once to die. Maybe you didn't come here this morning to talk about death but we need to. Death is a reality that we must face up to, and often until it's forced upon us because of our bad diagnosis from a doctor or because of a loved one dying, we tend not to think about it very much. But we've got to be people who think about it very much. We die. We've got to take it seriously. My favorite rapper, Shylin, has a a song called I'm the One, and it's death talking to us. He says this, I'm the one that movies use to entertain. I'm the one that seems fun on video games. I'm the one that rappers like to shout about. And I'm the one that does to them what comes out of their mouth. I'm the one that broadcasts on the news nightly, yet I'm the one that most take too lightly. I'm the one that's been an enemy for centuries. You'll all come to me eventually. I strike universally from slums to universities, from nurseries to nursing homes. That's true diversity. And it's the same for the dropout dropout and the well-schooled. When he dies, likewise for the cool and despised, the fool and the wise. Oh, the lunacy, how imprudent students be foolishly, thinking they have immunity When I won't take the opportunity, don't masquerade and act like you ain't have the data that I emasculate haters and assassinate assassinators. When it comes to graves, I'm the real filler. Literally give chills to villains and make a killing when I kill killers. I can't be talked away by slick politicians or tricked by magicians because I'm the sort of guy who mortifies morticians. I horrify physicians. I'm mocking all the doctors. I rock and shock the block from Stockholm to Watts. Son, I got you. What do you say? I'm the last exit on your highway. Even Frank Sinatra had to do it my way. Mm. This goes out to those speaking my name, lying like you're crazed, because when I greet you with pain, you'll be crying like a baby. And I even got to go in all the ways I could be taking you out. The point is no escaping this route. Naked you come in and naked you're out. You've been sleeping apparently. So now listen carefully. Don't act like you're not aware of me. 
how are you going to prepare for me? I feel like doing some charity, so here's some free advice. If you don't want to see me twice, repent and believe in Jesus Christ. <laughs> That'll preach. Um, it's true. We've got to think about this. It's unavoidable. We've got to think about it. It's, it's got to fill our days because there's an answer to it. It's appointed a man once to die. And notice the word once. I think if I had to pick the greatest lie Satan ever cooked up, it would be reincarnation. It has influenced billions. And it's invaded our culture with, with Eastern religions. This idea that you get unlimited do-overs. It's my favorite rules as a kid. Do-over. <laughs> right? Car, car was coming. No, we don't get unlimited do-overs. We don't. It is appointed a man once to die. Once. You don't get second chances after that. You don't get unlimited chances. No, it is appointed a man once to die. God appoints the day, and we need to make the most of our lives and what we believe and how we live until that day. And then that day brings judgment day for us. It is appointed a man once to die once. Samuel Johnson said this, depend upon it, sir. When a man knows he is to be hanged in a fortnight, it concentrates his mind wonderfully. Moses put it this way, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Jesus put it this way, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We need to live in light of eternity. We had the joy of becoming friends with Jim Elliott's little sister, Jane. Still friends with her, now Jane Hawthorne. But Jane Elliott, as a 15-year-old, got this birthday card from her big brother, Jim, who died on the mission field at 27. Listen to what he wrote to his little sister when he was in college in her birthday card as a 15-year-old. Jane, fix your eyes on the rising morning star. Don't be disappointed at anything or overlated either. Live every day as if the Son of Man were at the door and gear your thinking to the fleeting moment. Just how can it be redeemed? Walk as if the next step would carry you across the threshold of heaven. Pray. The saint who advances on his knees never retreats. Now that is what you need from your big brother on your 15th birthday. Live in light of eternity. Jim did. Jane has. Fourth word, judgment. Death actually isn't the end. We do face our creator after death. On that day, many will wish death was the end. He's our righteous judge. One evolutionary thinking scientist said this, we are produced by a process that does not give one damn about us. That's actually so far from the truth. God cares so much about us, he does give a damn about us. And damnation is what it is because we are so important. Because we are made in God's image. How we believe and how we live really matters to God and has implications for eternity. It really matters. 
Judgment's coming, and we all deserve it. Hebrews 10.27, if you just go one page over, you can see in Hebrews 10.27 a more detailed description of this judgment. In verse 26, Hebrews 10.26, if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. That's the description of what's to come. God says in verse 30, just a few verses from there, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. The Lord will judge his people. You can count on it. Word number five, Christ. Verse 28. So, in light of all this, what? So, Christ. Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to those who are eagerly waiting for him. Those eagerly waiting. Those are the many, and Christ is the answer. So Judgment Day is coming, but we don't need to fear it. We don't need to dread Judgment Day because Jesus came and was judged for us. Oh, yes, he's coming the next time as a judge, but he came the first time as a lamb to be slaughtered, the first time as a Savior who took on our sins. Oh, the judge the first time came and was judged in our place. So when he comes as the judge again, We won't have to be judged because he was judged in our place. He bore the wrath. He bore the punishment we all deserve. Jesus is the one who comes. And this word, what does he do? He saves us. Jesus saves us. He saves us from death. He saves us from our sin. He saves us from that coming wrath of God and that judgment. We don't need to fear death because Jesus took death on for us and defeated it. And he comes the next time, we're told, not to deal with sin. Why? Because of that wonderful word, once again. He came to do it once. So there was no need for any more sacrificial lambs or priests offering those or you contributing to what Jesus has done through your daily obedience. No, Jesus does it for us once and for all. That's the glorious message we find in this passage. Look at 9.26, the verse right before our passage. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world, but as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. If you don't think judgment day is coming, you're wrong. If you think you can face the judge with your own righteousness, you're dead wrong. But the great news is Jesus has offered his righteousness, which is completely sufficient. He's done it all. He's done everything we need him to. So we don't need to fear judgment day. Listen to Romans 5. Much more than, having now been justified by his blood, shall we be saved from the wrath of God through him? For if while we were enemies, not once we decided to be good people, but once we were, while once we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. Much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Oh, the past death of Jesus now guarantees for us the future freedom from judgment and the wrath of God because he took it on for us. And then the last word is what tells us who gets this. Who are the many who receive this? It's the many who are the waiting. And that's the last word, the waiting ones, the ones waiting. See, that's who it is. 
Those eagerly awaiting. I love this because the right word, the the primary word for how we become forgiven and freed from the coming justice and judgment because Jesus took it is faith. It's repentance and faith. But I love this word waiting because it, it works out what faith means. It means you didn't just come to Jesus so you don't have to be judged. You came to Jesus because you realized that he's your life. And he's your savior because he's your life. He's not just fire insurance. He's your life now. Oh, he's your savior, but he's everything to you now. And so the ones who have true faith aren't just the ones that says, oh yeah, I trusted Jesus as a kid, now living like hell. Ignorant of God, ignoring God. No. The ones who are really those who've trusted Jesus are the ones who are eagerly waiting for his return. The ones who've moved past their bucket list. How many people are living for crossing things off their bucket list? Oh, I'm fine with doing things you want to do. But let's not treat the bucket list like it's where life is found. No, life is found in Jesus. And if he returns in 50 years when you get to have crossed off the things in your bucket list, or if he returns in 50 seconds... The people of God are eagerly waiting for him and don't care if the bucket list gets taken care of or not because Jesus is everything to us. See, that's what true faith in Jesus means. It means we live our lives in light of his return and we long for it because we love him and we long for him. See, that's where salvation's found in Christ. In Christ, what he's done for us. If you've never trusted Jesus, please, this is the morning of salvation. If you have, rest on him like never before. Let's pray. Lord, help us. We are a people desperate for forgiveness and desperate for justice. And we need to realize that we deserve judgment as well. And Lord, we're so grateful that Jesus, the eternal son, became the son of man. So he could live for us and die for us and take our judgment on his shoulders. Help us, Lord, to live for him, to trust him. Not our righteousness, but his. Lord, help us to live eagerly, longing for his return. Where he is our life, so it's so completely natural for us to talk to others about him. And we pray this in his name. Amen.